0: Welcome to episode seven A of Matthew Linity: Critical Study of Matthew and Masculinity. This is the series in which I'll be navigating the world of Matthewan research, identifying assumptions, connecting old and new interpretations, including questions and perspectives previously overlooked or undervalued. There's a whole world of research that awaits. Are you ready? This episode is about the seemingly vague heading at the beginning of the story unit in verses 18 to 25 of Matthew chapter 1, which says, The Jesus Messiah's regeneration was this way. What is it saying? What was this way? What actually ends up being narrated in the story unit is presumably what the heading is trying to introduce. It might actually be a good heading if only we knew how to unpack it. Fortunately, we do now. I'll be demonstrating how to unpack the heading at the beginning of verse 18, and how the heading connects with the story unit that it introduces. I'll begin by reading aloud the unit, verses 18 to 25 of Matthew chapter 1. The Jesus Messiah's progeneration was this way. His mother Mary, being betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, her having a pregnant belly from the Holy Spirit became noticeable. Joseph, her husband, being righteous and not wanting to shame her, decided he would divorce her quietly. Having resolved to do these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for the child in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." This whole thing occurred so as to be a fulfillment of that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall have a pregnant belly. She shall give birth to a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God is with us. Joseph, rising from sleep, did as was commanded to him by the angel of the Lord. He took his wife. He was not knowing her, up till the time she gave birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. If we had to pick one sentence from this story unit that captures what this story is about, we probably would not pick the first sentence, which says, Of the Jesus Messiah's progeneration it was thus. It just, doesn't seem to describe everything in the story unit itself. It doesn't seem very descriptive, which is apparently meant to be a heading, but it just doesn't seem to capture everything that's going on in the story. I mean, there are just so many things that we are told in this little story unit. The beginning is all about what Joseph is going to do, uh, he's making a plan to to do something. He he doesn't want to claim any paternity rights for the child, even though he could claim that the child that Mary is having, he has rights to that child. Uh, and then the third part is also about Joseph. What what Joseph ends up doing, and the middle, well, that's about the revelation that Joseph receives. Uh, he's told what to do. He's told not to be afraid to be married to Mary, and he's given a prophecy about the child's future uh, now if we had to pick one sentence that captured everything that was going on we probably would not pick the first sentence uh, because it just doesn't seem to be very descriptive it just doesn't seem to be describing the, these three these three main parts to the story consequently we usually end up reading the heading either as if it's trying to introduce the birth of Jesus, or we read it as if it's just a vague reference to the circumstances into which Jesus was born. There were some circumstances uh, into which Jesus was born. And if we're reading it as the birth of Jesus, then we might be a bit disappointed because the birth is basically skipped over. There's not much space dedicated to the birth itself. We don't find out any details about the day Jesus was born when, where, who was there. And so we we end up reading it then as, well, this is just some circumstances into which Jesus was born. It's just a vague reference to, well, here are the circumstances. That's okay, if that's what the writer has chosen as a heading. I mean, it doesn't need to be specific. It could just be there to make us curious and want to know, okay, well, all right, what, what were the circumstances into which Jesus was born? Uh, I mean, that's okay. We just don't tend to think of the first sentence as capturing everything that's that's going on in the story. I mean, we've got the rest of the story. We can just keep reading. If we were looking for one sentence that really encapsulates everything that's going on in this story, story unit, not many of us would pick the first sentence And so what I'd like to demonstrate in this episode is that the three parts to the story, the beginning, the middle, and the end, what's Joseph going to do, what's Joseph told to do, and what Joseph ends up doing, these three things also show up in the heading. So if you've ever wondered how does the heading relate to the rest of the story unit, everything that ends up happening in the story unit Uh, How does that connect back to what we find in the heading? If you've ever wondered what's the connection between the heading and the story, then this is the episode not to miss, because this episode will be unpacking what's going on in the heading, at the same time as unpacking what's going on in the rest of the story unit and showing how these two things connect. There are four steps to seeing that, yes, we do know what the heading is saying. It's quite a good heading. It's quite a descriptive heading. And it it, it has things in it that, that the story itself, the story unit itself, has all these important things turn up. And these things also show up in the heading itself. So what are the four steps? Okay, well, the first step is what do we find out before verse 18? So before we get to the heading in verse 18, we already have an expectation of what we're about to read next. And if we've been following the first 17 verses closely, then there's certain expectations and assumptions about what we suspect is about about to be told. So we've we've got certain expectations Uh, before we even get to the story unit. So that'll be the first step. Uh, And that will help us to establish a hypothesis of what we think the heading might be trying to say. And the second step will be looking at an overview of the story. Uh, So the story unit... Uh, you know, what, what eventuates, what, what ends up happening, and how does it does it happen in, in terms of these, these three parts, the beginning, the middle, and the end. So looking at an overview of, of um, a basic summary um, that, that's following the text closely. And then the third step will be looking to see which sentence in the story seems to capture the most of what's going on in the story so we will just look at the summary the overview and is there one sentence in particular that seems to capture all of that everything that we've we've seen in the overview is there is there one sentence that that captures that in particular and then the fourth step will be to see now does that point us also to the first sentence Is there any reason to think that this one sentence which does seem to contain so much of what's going on in the story, is there some sort of indication that we're also supposed to be seeing it in the first sentence? And so there'll be a pattern that I'd like to to share with everyone that's never been noticed before. And so that'll be really quite exciting because it will confirm all of these previous steps And it will confirm that, yes, we do actually know what the heading is saying. It's it's a really good heading. It's very descriptive. It's got these important things in it that also the story unit is about. And and so that'll be quite exciting. Um, Yeah, I'm very excited about this episode. Okay, so let's look prior to verse 18. So what, what's ha- what's happened just before verse 18? Okay, so just before verse 18, we've had verse 17, which is a commentary on the first genealogical section, uh, talking about the structure of the genealogy and how the structure points to the arrival of the Messiah arriving at a particular point in time, and that it was time for the Messiah to arrive according to providential timing. Uh, So if we go to the verse before that, at the end of the genealogy itself, we have Jesus being identified as the Messiah, and that Jesus is born from Mary, and that Mary has a husband called Joseph. So so if we follow the, the Greek order, then we have Joseph was the husband of Mary, from whom Jesus was produced, the one said to be the Messiah. But If we read it in reverse order, it works better in English. So if, it, it's easier to follow uh, if we say the Messiah is to be identified as Jesus, who was born from Mary, whose husband was Joseph. So, Jesus was born from Mary. Mary's husband was Joseph. Okay, so here we go. We've got a a hypothesis developing that perhaps we're about to be told a story about what's going on here between Jesus and Joseph. Uh, We know Jesus was born from Mary, and Mary's husband was Joseph. So, it sounds like Jesus ends up being accepted as Joseph's heir somehow but but how 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 did that happen what what's the connection between Jesus and Joseph it seems like Jesus is the heir of Joseph uh, but but how but how exactly does does that work so already at the end of verse 16 we have a bit of a hypothesis developing that perhaps we're about to hear a story about how this connection Came about how it was that Jesus became the heir of Joseph. So that when we get to the first sentence in verse 18 and it says, this is how it happened, it happened this way, then we're already thinking about, oh, well, it's probably to do with how Jesus ends up becoming the heir of Joseph. That's this is how it happened. And secondly, we've already got a suspicion that it's not. It's not straightforward. It's not that Joseph was the biological father of Jesus and it was just straightforward, but that there's other factors involved. And we're already suspecting that it might be other divine factors, uh, if we've been reading the genealogy closely, uh and we we've just we've also just read verse seventeen, in between verse sixteen and verse eighteen, which is talking about this providential timing. So we're we're all already suspecting that not only is it going to be telling us a story about how Jesus became the heir of Joseph, but that there are going to be some divine factors that that uh that's why it's not straightforward. It's a complicated sort of situation. So yes Jesus does become accepted as Joseph's son, but there's other factors that are involved. So, in theory, it's a plausible it's a plausible hypothesis. Now, whether or not this is actually what the heading is saying at the beginning of verse eighteen uh, still remains to be demonstrated. But we at least see that well, it would make sense if that was what the heading was intended to say. Perhaps that might be what the heading is intended to say uh, so okay as a hypothesis it seems plausible okay so that's the f- the first step is to say okay look it's not it's not a crazy idea it seems quite plausible that that might be what the heading might actually be saying Right so if we had to give an overview of what comes after the heading so what how would we describe how it was that Jesus ends up becoming accepted as the son of Joseph Joseph ends up accepting Jesus as his son how did that happen what what would we say were the factors involved well we would have to admit that okay there's a few factors involved there's, there's Joseph is obviously an influencing factor um, and there's the public opinion of which Joseph is quite well aware of. He doesn't want to make things worse for Mary, so he's he's trying to make a decision that's that's not for the public. He's not going to tell the public anything about what he knows about the child's paternity. He's not going to tell anyone that he's not the father. Uh, so he's very aware of, of the public opinion as an influencing factor here. Uh, So we've got Joseph, we've got the public, but but we've also got divine factors. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have the angel from God, we have the scripture uh, that's also there. So we've got a variety of divine factors as well as human factors. So to summarize it, we'd say, okay, well, we've got, a variety of divine and human factors that are, uh, that, that, that end up working together. But at the beginning, it, it's, it's not very clear how it's going to work out because we've got a variety of factors and we're not quite sure how it's all going to work out. But it ends up working out and uh, these factors end up coordinating or converging or conspiring to towards an outcome where Jesus is accepted. By Joseph as his son. Now, there is one sentence besides, besides the heading, because obviously I'm going to be demonstrating that also the heading is one sentence that contains all of these these things, but there is another sentence that contains these three aspects. So, you know, Jesus does end up being accepted by Joseph, but it's not because of Joseph's agenda. It's a divine agenda. And also there's this future aspect of this mission of salvation. So these three things are found in a single sentence. Now, you might think, oh, well, uh, the prophecy... For the child in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Perhaps that's the sentence I'm thinking of. Well, that's, that's four sentences. Uh, four sentences that are combined together as a, as a little subunit. Uh, but there is one sentence that's a short sentence that contains these three aspects. And that is the final sentence. So when it says he called his name Jesus, well, we know that it's not Joseph's agenda to be doing so. It's not Joseph's idea to come up with the name Jesus and and to to legitimate this relationship. Uh we know that it's 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 a divine agenda that's that's happening here. And also, we've just found out the meaning of Jesus' name has significance for his future. In fact, there's nowhere else in the rest of the New Testament where another writer points out the significance of Jesus' name in terms of what Jesus' name means. So Jesus' name has a meaning in Hebrew uh, that relates to his mission of salvation. So we're finding out these three things in the final sentence. He called his name Jesus. In that one sentence, we have these three things. Joseph is coming to accept Jesus as his son, but it's not because of his own agenda. It's because of a divine agenda with which he is cooperating. And we're also being reminded of the name itself has significance for the future of this child. This child is going to grow up with this this amazing destiny, this mission of salvation. And so now this is strengthening our hypothesis that perhaps the first sentence might also be including these three aspects because they are there in the final sentence. The concluding sentence has these three aspects. Perhaps the first sentence also has these three aspects. Okay, so the next step is for us to notice some kind of reason that we should be linking the first sentence and the last sentence as if they're they're both doing the same thing. Is is there anything in the text itself that would suggest that we're to make this link? All right, so the fourth step is to connect or to see if there is some reason why we should connect the final sentence in verse 25 with the first sentence in verse 18. And to see that, well, what the final sentence, the concluding sentence is doing is the same thing that the heading is doing. Now, what would link these two sentences together would be a pattern if there's some kind of pattern in the text where one sentence is linked or paired up with another sentence, and we keep finding it again and again and again, so that every sentence is paired up with another sentence. And in fact, this is what we find. Um, Well, when I say we find, uh, it's never been noticed before this pattern, although some scholars have noticed a little bit of the pattern, uh, but they were trying to pair up the verses, not the sentences. And so they only noticed some verses seem to be paired up, but they didn't uh, think about what about the, the sentences. So this is where I'm going to be trying to avoid the word verses, and I'm going to be talking about sentences. And so basically what's happened is that we usually have verse numbers in here, but the verse numbers don't correspond exactly to a single sentence, so sometimes a verse number corresponds to half a sentence, uh, and or one and a half sentences, or two sentences. So for example, verse 18 contains two sentences. We've got the heading, which is a sentence, the progeneration of the Jesus Messiah happened like this, and then we have another sentence his mother mary being betrothed to joseph before they came together her having a pregnant belly from the holy spirit became noticeable so that's that's two sentences and but we've only got one verse number now i thought that i had been ignoring or trying to ignore the verse numbers and you know not being overly influenced by the verse numbers because i knew that the verse numbers aren't part of the original text the writer didn't write verse numbers into the text, that's something that that we've added at a later time, a much later time. Uh, the time of the printing press, I think, is when the the verse numbers were established. The ones that we, that we use in our printed Bibles, they're necessary because when you've got a lot of people reading the same text, you you really need to have verse numbers in so that people can quickly find the same reference and we can all look up the same verse numbers. And so they're they're quite handy to have. Unfortunately, they do tend to distract us if we're wanting to to find that sentences are paired up together in a certain way that we might not have noticed, then the verse numbers tend to get in the way. And so, as soon as I saw this pattern, I thought, well, why haven't we seen this pattern before? And I immediately realized, oh, it's probably the same reason why I hadn't seen the pattern before, and that's because it's only when I stopped including the verse numbers I had I had the text there, and I deleted the verse numbers. And as soon as I deleted the verse numbers, I started to notice that the sentences were pairing up. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to try to introduce how it's working. This pattern, and and uh, it's a little bit difficult in an audio podcast because nobody can see me what I'm pointing to, and so it, I'll give it a go anyway. It's really quite exciting because this is something that helps us with exegesis. And if we've got one sentence that we're not sure what it means, and we know that it's paired up with another sentence, then we can see, ah, okay, so it's, it's the same the same elements in that sentence as that sentence. So it helps us to understand, well, if we know this sentence, then that, that helps us to understand the matching pair. And so this is the same thing that I'm talking about here. We've got the first sentence and the final sentence are matching. They're paired up. They're paired up together. Now what we've got is a well some people call it a chiastic structure I'm calling it either a symmetrical structure or I think I prefer concentric structure because we've got one sentence that, that doesn't pair up it's it's just by itself in the middle and then everything outside of that pairs up either side of it so I think concentric structure is is a really good description. So the probably the, the easiest way to get into this concentric structure is to begin with what we usually call verse 23. So that's the prophetic birth announcement from the book of Isaiah that says, Behold, the virgin will have a pregnant belly. She will give birth to a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God is with us. Now that's what we usually call verse 23 in Matthew chapter 1, and we sometimes separate it so that it doesn't look like a single verse, but we we still have these four sentences or four clauses linked together as a single verse. We've got a group of sentences which are grouped together or clustered together as we, we we know that it makes sense to read them as a single verse and it's it's like one big sentence basically, where we can hear this announcement, this birth announcement, which is a prophecy, and part of it's not from Isaiah because it says it explains the meaning of the name, whereas the book of Isaiah it doesn't need to explain what what the Hebrew is. Immanuel is a Hebrew name. So we've got this other little bit that we have in Matthew, which translated is God is with us. So that's, that's an extra fourth part. When we hear these four clauses being read, behold, the virgin will have a pregnant belly. She will give birth to a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God is with us. When we hear these four, we, we've already just heard something very similar and we immediately know, oh, this is very similar to what Joseph was just told. Joseph was just given a birth announcement or or a birth prophecy about Jesus. For the child in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, it's got the same four elements. We have a birth announcement and another birth announcement, and the way that it's written in Matthew chapter 1 is intended to be Parallel. They're intended to be the matching verses. Although I I probably should avoid using the word verses because uh, people will think I mean the according to the verse numbers that we've inherited since the printing press. Um, So I'm just going to call it component. So we've got a, a birth announcement component and another birth announcement component, and each of these components has the same four elements. So the first element is about noticing that, that there is a birth on the way, so that the child is on the way, the child hasn't been born yet, but notice that this is, this is an important thing to notice because it's an important birth for the nation. So uh, that's the first element. The second element is she will give birth to a son, uh, which is word for word in, in both components. So it's um, the birth of a son. Uh, the third element is the name given to that son. And the fourth element is the meaning or the significance of that name uh, in in terms of the child's life and for the people. So we can see that, yes, we've got these matching components. That's the best place to begin to find our way around this concentric structure, because there's only one sentence in between, and that is, well, that's verse 22, Uh, so that's this whole thing has happened in order to be a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, and then it quotes what we've been calling verse 23, which I'll be talking about next episode. So that's that's the sentence. We've got one sentence in between these two birth announcements. And what's interesting is that not only is it a single sentence, but all the other sentences that I'm talking about that are, that are paired up are also basically a single sentence that we can quite easily pair up but the way to begin is to pair up the two birth announcements because they they are each a, a combination of very short sentences or short clauses which together form a single component once we've done that we can see all the other sentences are are much easier to to pair up so we, this is this is how do, how do we start because we've got our middle sentence which doesn't have a matching pair this whole thing happened so as to be a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That's that's the middle sentence. That stands by itself. I'll be talking about that sentence next, next time. So that's the middle. And then either side of that, we have these matching components, which are matching birth announcements with, with the same four elements in each. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's move down to the next component. The next thing that happens is that Joseph wakes up from his dream. So it says, rising from sleep, Joseph put into action, or Joseph did, what he was commanded to do by the angel of the Lord. What elements do we have? Uh, Well, we've got four different elements. We've got mention of the sleep that Joseph has just woken up from. And we've got mention of Joseph putting into action or doing something. And we've got mention of the instruction from the angel of the Lord. So, uh, angel of the Lord, instruction, putting into action, and sleep. So, they're the four elements in this sentence. Now, if we look up just prior to the first birth announcement that was given to Joseph, what's the sentence... Do we find something that approximates these four elements? Well, what do you know? We've got the exact same four elements just prior to the birth announcement that was given to Joseph. We've got, having resolved to do these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. So here we have an instruction given by an angel of the Lord to Joseph, when it's just at the point where he's about to do something, so having resolved to do these things, so at the point where Joseph hasn't done it, but he's about to do something. So we've got the mention of the angel of the Lord, an instruction, Joseph was about to do something, and asleep, Joseph going to sleep and having a dream. So we've got the same four elements. Okay, so this is getting really exciting now. We can see this concentric structure. We've got our middle, and we've got the two birth announcements or birth prophecies that either side of of the middle verse. And then either side of that, we have a sentence that contains an instruction, or or a mention of an instruction, a mention of the angel, a mention of what Joseph was was doing or about to do, and a mention of a dream or or sleep. Alright, so let's keep going. Let's look at uh, go down to what what happens next is a very short sentence and we might think oh what well, that doesn't have enough elements to be matching anything because it just says he took his wife but if we look back to the sentence that's that's called verse 19 is that a matching component does it match well verse 19 is all about what Joseph is planning not to do, he's planning to not take Mary his wife. He's, he's planning to divorce Mary quietly. So he's trying to not take Mary his wife. He's trying to not be known as the husband and for Mary to be known as his wife. So when it says he took his wife, we can see that it resolves everything in verse 19. Joseph is trying to step Out of this role, and then we've got this short sentence, which is the counterpart sentence where it's all resolved, where he he accepts his role being known as the husband of Mary uh, and for Mary being known as his wife. So we can see again, we've got the same matching components. Okay, well, now we've only got two sentences at the beginning that left and two sentences at the end left. So we've got, we're down to the second. Last, the second-to-last sentence, which says he was not knowing her up till the time she gave birth to a son. So here we've got two elements with which are two clauses, and one clause is dependent on the other. It's a time-dependent clause. So prior to something happening, something else is is mentioned. So prior to Mary giving birth, it talks about Joseph not knowing her, or Joseph having had no sexual union with Mary. Okay, so you notice that we've got two elements, and it's a time-dependent clause and another clause, uh, one thing happens prior to uh, another thing. And what do you know? When we look up to the second sentence in, we have these same two elements. Uh, Except this time we've got them twice. So we have a long sentence. And these same two elements are mentioned twice each. So the element of Mary and Joseph not being in a sexual relationship, so they haven't yet had sex. And the other element, which is about Mary being an expecting mother. So the same two elements, except at the second last sentence, it's Mary as a new mother. She's already given birth, even though they haven't had sex. So these same two elements we find in the second sentence. His mother Mary being betrothed to Joseph, so he, here we go. We've got already mention of Mary as in terms of her status as a a mother, or, or at this stage an expecting mother, and being betrothed to Joseph, which is letting us know that there hasn't they haven't yet had a sexual union. So we've already got the same two elements mentioned, but the sentence keeps going. Before they came together, so again we've got a second mention of. Before there's been any sexual union, now we've heard it that one for uh, twice in the one sentence. Before they came together, her having a pregnant belly from the Holy Spirit became noticeable. So here we go again. Here we have another mention of Mary's status as an expecting mother, but also implying for a third time that it's not because of Joseph. It's not because of the sexual union between Mary and Joseph. So we actually have that mentioned quite a few times. It's making it quite clear that Joseph and Mary have not been sexually intimate. That there's no sexual union prior to the time that Mary is an expecting mother. Uh, so we've got these same two elements in the second sentence, in as from we have find find in the second to last sentence. A mention of Mary's status in terms of her motherhood, and a mention of there's been no sexual union is a time-dependent clause. So, prior to the fact that Mary is an expecting mother, there's been no sexual union. Or, in the second-to-last sentence, prior to the time that Mary has given birth, there's been no sexual union. So, the same two elements. Okay, now we've got one sentence left, which is our heading and our conclusion. We've got the first sentence and the final sentence, which are paired up. So we can see that they are saying the same thing. So what we can find in the final sentence, he called his name Jesus. So we have a mention of the naming of Jesus, but we know that it's not because of Joseph's agenda to be doing this. He's proclaiming Jesus, giving him a name. He's officiating his role as, as a parent. Jesus is becoming known as his son, Uh, But we know that this is not because of Joseph's own agenda. This is because of a divine agenda. And we've just been reminded that Jesus' name has significance in terms of his mission. So all these three things that we find in the final sentence, we're supposed to also be able to see them in the first sentence. Okay, now it's time to look more closely at the first sentence. How, how does it work? So as a whole, we can see that, well, it's t- intended to say the same thing as the concluding sentence, but how do we match match it up so that we can see, look up the, the, the individual words and say, yeah, that, that's how we get to that bit. That's how we get that. This is where this bit comes from. So as a whole, yes, all right, we can see that it is actually intended to be the matching pair. For the, the concluding sentence, the first sentence and the final sentence, they're, they're the matching components in this concentrically structured story unit. Uh, but it might be helpful to unpack the first sentence a, a little bit to see w- w- how, how does it work. So we've got, Of the Jesus Messiah's progeneration it was thus, or uh, the Jesus Messiah's progeneration was this way. The last little bit is probably the easiest bit because was this way or happened like this, well, we know that that's a reference to, you know, it wasn't straightforward. It's not just Joseph produced Jesus. It, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. There's, you know, there's various factors that that um, we've got involved and it all sort of worked out and it came together. and Some of those factors were divine factors. So we can see this last little bit like, oh, yes, the, it was complicated. There were various factors and some of those factors were divine factors. We can see that's what the last little bit's referring to when it said it happened like this. Okay, so but what happened? Well, it's that Jesus gets named by Joseph. In other words, Jesus gets accepted by Joseph and becomes known as Joseph's son. That that's that's the conclusion of that's the progeneration that it's referring to, the sonship. Jesus becomes the son of Joseph. And this is a genealogical thing as well, because it's not just the son of Joseph, but it's the son of Joseph, son of David. So Joseph is referred to as Joseph, son of David. He's just been shown to have a Davidic lineage. So Joseph is being demonstrated by by Matthew chapter 1 to be uh, royal. He's a, a from a royal line. Uh, I mean, the text doesn't say. Well, everyone knew that Mary and Joseph were royals, and that Jesus therefore is also being, you know, adopted into a royal family, and everyone knew this. It's it's one of the things in the story that we're told things that people in the story wouldn't have known. People wouldn't have known that, that Jesus, and Mary, and Joseph were a royal family. That that's not that's not what the text is saying. It's letting us in to a perspective of how we can see the situation, uh, knowing things that people who are in the story don't know. Uh, similarly, people in the story don't know that there was 14 generations um, between the exile and the birth of Jesus. Uh, people in the story don't necessarily know that. That's something that we we are being told in Matthew chapter 1. So I probably should just mention that when Son of David is applied to Jesus by characters in the story later on. They're not. They're not referring to. Oh, Jesus is from a royal family. We know his parents. We know. You know. We know that they're royals. It's, it's, that's not what it's saying. It's the son. Of, the title "son of David" is used as a function. So Jesus is functioning as a Davidic figure. So it's not. It's not based on people saying, "Oh, yeah, we figured out your genealogy," um, or you know, we know. We know your family, where they come from, and that they're royals. It's, it's, talk, it's talking about Jesus doing things. So people know what Jesus is doing, and so therefore they're referring to him as a David figure. Uh, but, but to get back to Matthew chapter 1, we've got here, it is being used as a genealogical link, where son of David is referring to uh, the genealogy of David. So Joseph has David's genealogy according to Matthew chapter 1, and now Jesus has David's genealogy according to Matthew chapter 1. I'd like to point out something about the word Genesis, uh, which I've been translating in this episode as progeneration, because we don't tend to notice that it contains a future aspect in the word. So this Greek word Genesis, when it says the Genesis of the Jesus Messiah or the Jesus Messiah's Progeneration, then that word is a word that includes not only what's coming into being or what has led up to something that's coming into being, but also what continues. So it's it's more like uh, a word that's to do with the trajectory of something, the makings of something. Yes, so, you know this, these these are the events that came together. This is what led up to it happening, but also. The trajectory, like it's it, what's the trajectory of Jesus' life that's included in this word, Genesis. So when it says the Jesus' Messiah's progeneration was this way, what's it talking about? Well, is it talking about the Messiahship of Jesus in terms of Jesus has David's genealogy? He has this Davidic genealogy. And so basically, this is how Jesus came to be designated the chosen Davidic heir, genealogically speaking. Uh, So it could be saying, well, this is how Jesus became Joseph's heir and inherited Joseph's genealogy. Jesus' messiahship is something that is bestowed on Jesus here in this story unit. And we can see that it's bestowed on Jesus via Joseph as well as via God. So it's bestowed on Jesus humanly, as well as divinely. And uh, so we can think of it as, well, what made Jesus the Messiah when he was still a baby? I mean, we think about being called the Messiah as if his position in the genealogy entitles him to this title, the Messiah. Well, according to the text, he was designated the legal heir to a Davidic ancestry, by a combination of human and divine factors. So basically, this is how the messiahship of Jesus began. Except I've noticed something else also that we seem to miss, which is, it's not just the origin of Jesus' messiahship. It's also a story about where Jesus' name came from, the name Jesus, whose idea was it to call Jesus, Jesus. So it's a story also about the origin of Jesus' name. And it's also a story about the origin of Jesus' mission. So Jesus is going to be on a mission to save his people from their sins. And that's based on the meaning of his name. So here we're finding out a story where we're going to find out the meaning of Jesus' name, which nowhere else in the New Testament do we find out the meaning of Jesus' name. And here it's described in terms of his mission. He's destined to save the people. So we've got... The origin of Jesus's name. Got the origin of Jesus's mission, and we've also got the origin of Jesus's function in terms of he is the heir of someone. He's the heir of Joseph, the son of David. So he's the heir of David. And so basically, we're finding out a lot of things being pregenerated. Jesus's mission, the pregeneration of Jesus's name, and Jesus's function in terms of him becoming the heir of David. So we've got the progeneration of the Jesus Messiah. His name and his title and his function, his mission, it's all packed into this, the Jesus Messiah. This is what, I think this is what the heading is trying to get to, is it's it's saying, look, this is a story unit where we're going to discover Jesus's name, his mission, his function as the heir of David. This is all packed into the heading, and it's easier, once we've begun to unpack what's going on in the story unit, then it's easier to be able to unpack the heading. They're both designed so that they can be unpacked. The Unpacking one helps to unpack the other. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really hope that helps people to be able to unpack what, what's going on in the first sentence in verse 18, which is the heading for this amazing little story unit which is concentrically structured. Okay, a quick summary and conclusion. In this episode, I looked at what was the heading in verse 18 telling us. Uh, how do we unpack the heading how do we know what it's talking about and the first way was to get an idea of what comes before what what are we expecting to find if we're reading closely uh, just before we get to verse 18 we already already have a bit of an expectation from reading verse 17 and from reading verse 16 that perhaps we're being told we're about to be told how it was that Jesus Ended up being known as Joseph's son. Uh, what how did it happen? It doesn't seem like it was straightforward. Were there various factors? Uh, and yes, there are various factors we find out. So that's the first step, is we we got a bit of a hypothesis going by looking at what came before the heading in verse 18. The second step was to look at the contours of the story unit. In other words, what comes after the heading? well what what does the story end up telling us how does it conclude and and what what were the various factors that that shaped that conclusion and indeed we found out that yes joseph did end up becoming known as jesus's father but not because of joseph's own agenda it was because of a divine agenda and we also found out that an important aspect is looking forward to jesus's future So Joseph is given a prophecy about Jesus and that Jesus will save his people from their sins. So we've got the future aspect, and we've also got this other divine human combination of of things collaborating or converging together to produce the result, to to produce the outcome that, yes, Jesus is known as Joseph's son. Jesus does become officiated uh, or legitim- legitimated as the son of Joseph, the son of David. Uh, so not just the son of Joseph, but but in being brought into this messianic lineage. Yeah. So basically, we've, we we you we know we saw that there's the human factors, there's divine factors, and they converge together. All right. So um, we we then move to the next step, and I was talking about well. Where do we find all of these things most clearly? And that's in the concluding sentence. Uh, And that was interesting, because then we had the concluding sentence as the final sentence in the story unit. Is that perhaps meant to be read as doing the same thing as the first sentence in the story unit? It seems more and more plausible that perhaps what we're seeing in the final sentence might actually be showing up in the first sentence as well, but what would be the reason to connect these two other than, well, one's the first and one's the last, but is is there something, is there some kind of pattern? And so the fourth step, I was looking at the pattern, where the first sentence is paired up with the final sentence, and the second sentence in is paired up with the sentence, second sentence from the end, and the third sentence in from the third sentence from the end, and so on, all the way into the center, and the center sentence is unparalleled. It's not paired up with anything. It is the centre point. It's the odd one out. So everything pivots around that that centre, and that's what I'll be talking about next time. the The centre point of the unit. And then I showed how to unpack the sentence itself. So the the, the first sentence, we we've looked at it as a whole, and then I I it was a bit easier to then see. Now that we were pretty certain about, yes, this is this is what it means as a whole. How do we unpack it so that we can see the, the various points. Like which, which point refers to the future aspect? Which point refers to the becoming son of Joseph aspect? And which point refers to the, the non-human or, or the, the divine aspects? Now before I give a conclusion, I think I'll give a really succinct summary of the results of of what I've found. So I've summarized the stages of the episode, uh, but here is a short summary of of the results of the what the heading means in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now if you've wondered why, and you might have noticed or wondered why it doesn't just say the Genesis of Jesus was this way. It doesn't say the Genesis of Jesus, it says genesis of the Jesus Messiah. It's giving us the Jesus Messiah's genesis. And Well, the best way I can summarize it is it's giving us the genesis of the name Jesus and the genesis of the title Messiah by pointing out how the child Jesus is genealogically entitled to this title. In other words, how this child Jesus becomes the heir of David by becoming the son of Joseph. We've got ancestry and destiny, the combination of human and divine factors that set in motion the messianic status and mission of the child Jesus. Okay, so what about a conclusion? What kind of conclusion can we draw from this episode? Well, I think one of the most significant conclusions that we can draw is this close connection between the form or the, or the structure and the meaning. What we're expected to be noticing about the structure is that they're very closely connected. It's not like we can just ignore the structure and expect to get very far and, and expect to understand what's going on. The structure is there to contribute meaning. So form, and meaning are very closely tied together. We can't just sort of separate it off as if, oh yeah, that's just the form, Um, and then there's the meaning over here, but they're they're very interconnected. Uh, So not only is form and meaning very interconnected, but the, the connections are very interdependent kind of connections. So in the final sentence, we see such an interdependence between the human and the divine Aspects that, well, you know, is it Joseph doing it? Well, yeah, Joseph's doing it. Joseph is cooperating, uh, but but it's a cooperative venture. It's a human, um, it's a human and divine cooperation. Uh, so th- th- it wouldn't have happened, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Joseph. But it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't also for these other aspects, these divine aspects. So we've got a very much interdependent idea going on in the form and, and in the meaning, and also in the, the factors that are coming together. The factors are very interdependent as well as the the form and the meaning. Um, so it's a very interesting story unit to study. Uh, it's very well put together, and it's intended to be able to be unpacked. Uh, sometimes we, we, we quickly give up and go, oh, we don't know what this means. And so we, oh, well, we'll just keep reading the story and maybe we'll figure it out, but it really shows how it 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 pays to stay long enough w- with a story unit to really see does does the story unpack does it have a structure that that helps us to unpack it because we see this close interdependence between the form and the meaning uh, it reminds me of that that saying that the medium is the message uh, in this case the, the structure of this unit is telling us the the message like the message isn't something that's just we can find by overlooking the structure the structure is telling us or it's helping to tell us the same things that that the words themselves are telling us now one thing that I didn't talk about in this episode is masculinity uh, usually I, I talk about how certain things in the story are relevant to masculinity and there's plenty of that to to come in in later episodes uh, but but one of the reasons why is because well I'm you know I'm looking at patterns in the text and uh, it was very much a matter of how does how do, how do things connect how, do, how does this part connect how does the heading connect to what follows and then next time we'll be looking at how how does the center sentence how does that connect to to what what to all the parts as well so this episode and the next episode i won't be talking much about masculinity because of this focus on structure uh looking at the formal structure this concentric structure is so exciting to study there'll be plenty of time to get to looking at what's the text saying about gender and what what are we expecting the text to tell us and how 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 do we normally read it in terms of our own gendered readings. Uh, There'll there'll be plenty of time to talk about that in upcoming episodes very shortly. Hopefully they'll be coming out very soon. Uh, So apologies to anyone who was expecting uh, the topic of masculinity in this particular episode. Uh, There is plenty to come about masculinity in future episodes. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening.